0: You might have tuned in for Digging for Value, but you missed the spot, because this is Where the Money Is. Joel, new show, same day, Thursday at 3.30, we're filming, but now we're with Where the Money
1: Is, That's our uh, first podcast. It's, it's exciting, but I'm going to miss the Digging for Value. I know. I had a good run. The theme
0: music was classic, maybe we can transition that to the Thursday show. Bolo ties, <laughs> i still used. I can still rock the one I got, but... Uh, We're going to keep the same kind of themes, at least right off the bat. We're going to do headlines. We have three of those. Mm -hmm. I think our first one comes from the Wall Street Journal, if I remember correctly, and that is uh, China and Russia signed a natural gas deal. Uh, Big news in the energy space because it's the first of its kind between these two countries. Russia has been kind of trying to tout its natural gas exporting capabilities to Europe, a lot of exports to that region, and Europe's been a little bit worrisome ever since the Russia-Ukraine uh, debacle has taken place. I guess we can call it a debacle because nobody's really sure what's going on over there anymore. Absolutely. But uh, So what do you think about this deal and
1: how it, it, how it now plays out with Russia on the global stage? This is an interesting deal because you never know what Vladimir Putin's really trying to do obviously Russia needs high natural gas prices. They get a lot of revenue through their oil and gas. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the price that's estimated to be there, it looks like China's buying this natural gas on the very low end. So, you know, is he trying to play China to try to renegotiate to get uh, natural gas flowing back over into Europe and Mm -hmm. try to get into new pipelines and actually skirt the Ukraine. So, you know, he might be trying to to, to muscle into this situation a little muscle,
0: bit. Muscle, huh? Yeah, that's a good word for something that Putin's trying to do with his shirtless
1: muscle photos. That's true, <laughs> or he could steal a, a Super Bowl ring. Yes, yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, so I, that's what I'm looking at here. I I, I think this is more, um, obviously China needs the natural gas. They, have, they haven't they uh, have been able to crack the code for their shell gas yet, but uh, I think getting, not releasing the deal just yet. I will be uh, really interested to see when this actually comes out to see the pricing of the natural gas they're buying.
0: Yeah, it seems like a pretty sizable deal, at least right off the front. Uh, Russia wasn't even in the top top six countries that exported to China. Turkmenistan was far and away the largest supplier before this deal. They're talking about 38 billion cubic meters of natural gas a a year to start off. That's only 22% of what Gazprom exported to Europe uh, Mm -hmm. last year. So still a very small amount when you look at it. Could approach 60 billion cubic meters. Uh, Hopefully that's what they're gunning for um, towards the end of the deal, which is 30 years long. So yeah, another deal for Russia, but you have to wonder if it's more of an energy alliance rather than just uh, a a profit-making deal. Obviously China needs this, but uh, the close border there uh, could hold some other... uh, Advantages, I guess you could say, in negotiations for other things around the world because uh, that's the one thing that Russia does have at the table is holding its natural gas exports uh, from the Europe if it really wanted to. Uh, I think that kicks it off to our next headline, which kind of really flows along quite nicely, dealing with China again, and that's China's Cinepec and Weatherford and Oil Services joint venture as shale in focus. That's from Reuters. So China not only buying natural gas and oil from other countries,
1: but now they're really starting to kick up the development of their own shell resources. Yeah, China obviously has wanting to tap into their shell resources for a long time, and they've been doing a lot of joint ventures, mainly you saw the deal that they put together last year um, buying uh, into Canada mm-hmm. you also have joint ventures with companies like Devon Energy here and Chesapeake Energy and the one of the big deals that they wanted to get in, involved with these companies was they wanted to learn their technology so this is kind of the way they're going yep. Weatherford obviously not the strongest service company yeah. in, in the struggles. United in the United States but it's a, it's a start where they can start doing some samples. Sinopec actually did have one well that came online this year uh, that from uh, Shelp uh, Well, and they actually were able to produce, but there's still a lot of issues here. You have population densities far greater than what you have in the United States where you're going to have to build out the infrastructure. You have to have the pipelines go from the fields a long ways into the cities where it's going to be needed. Also, a lot of water shortages here. That's a big issue, and what's, uh, the big thing you have to know about water is you can't go on the open market and buy it like right. you can all the other resources. So China's really uh, gridlocked when it comes to water. They're only reliant on the rivers that come into their countries that can't go on the open market like they have done for all the other resources mm-hmm. they need. So I think there's still a lot of issues with them getting their own shell resources and you know another uh, reason why they want to lock in that 30-year uh, deal with Gazprom.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with, uh, from Weatherford's perspective because this is a company that's kind of been shunned by investors at least, maybe not the energy industry, but they had some accounting questions crop up about a year or two ago. Also some contract issues with their dealings in Iraq. So uh, from an investor standpoint, this this company really hasn't performed. Um, And it's also the fourth uh, largest behind Schlumberger, Halliburton, and Baker Hughes as far as the energy and services companies are concerned. So this is big for them. I'm not too sure if we'll see any more joint ventures like this. You could. But Halliburton and Schlumberger are already very well entrenched in China. They have great uh, service facilities there. They've built state-of-the-art, brand-new facilities. And Halliburton and Schlumberger have been already working with the the national oil companies and big players like Cinepec over there outside of joint ventures. So I could see that as being the route that they take most likely.
1: I agree. And the international shell plays is kind of the next frontier for a lot of these companies, so if you can get involved early, start building uh, relationships with these, with these companies, giving them the products that you use, so mm-hmm. you're start, starting to build that relationship where they're kind of dependent on you. Yeah, you create so a sticky
0: if, situation, which is something all investors are looking for. Absolutely,
1: yeah. absolutely. And moving on, we're going to look at, go to the money news for our last headline. Basically, what we're looking at here is an analyst came out saying, you know, high gasoline prices are really beyond the United States control. Yes, this is true in some cases you have a lot of people that are looking at the amount of oil that we Mm -hmm. are producing, you know, we're producing at 27, 28 year highs, and they're wondering if we're producing so much oil, why can't uh, gas prices start dropping with that? And, you know, there's a number of reasons for it. Oil is tied to the international Brent price. Mm -hmm. So any oil that you're producing, The gasoline prices will still be following that. However, there are a lot of regional differences. In the United States, we use the WTI, which is uh, the benchmark Mm -hmm. based out of Cushing, Oklahoma. And you're seeing some people that have access to this cheaper oil, uh, have refiners close by. You can get some variations, regional variations that are outside of the taxes uh, that you're seeing. So, you know, I think there's a little case to be made there, but... Um, not not too much, not too much.
0: Yeah, I think you know when you look at this, uh, the fact that we export petroleum products I think is a key mm-hmm. issue here because, yeah, we are producing a ton of oil, uh, fastest growth out of m- many other countries in the world for the last few years, which has been great. Expecting even more growth, not quite as high as we've seen, but they don't think that this is gonna be our top producing year by any means. Mm-hmm. But OPEC is also struggling right now, so to see them pull back, until we produce more oil than OPEC, which I, doubt will ever happen. Uh, I think that we're going to continue to see oil prices demanded uh, externally. That's going to control what we pay domestically. And then you have people talking about wanting to export oil. I think that's a terrible idea from this perspective. If people want cheap gas, I don't think that's going to help. Oil companies say it will, but obviously they have reasons to, to be saying something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons gas prices, with the WTI being lower, are not actually – the gas prices are not actually lower is, is because, like you mentioned, we're exporting about four, uh, 400,000 barrels of fuel overseas. Yeah. So, you know, if that wasn't happened, you would have that. Here, prices would drop a little bit, not a whole lot. So, you know, you have to look at kind of the flow there. And, you know, like you said um, – if we were to ex- start exporting crude oil we would have the wti and brent trading almost online mm-hmm. like it has been mo- throughout most of its history yeah
0: people try to guess that brent will collapse down to wti prices but that's not going to be the case they're going to converge so you're going to see some some uh, price uptick here domestically and i just realized it's kind of funny that west texas intermediate benchmark is benchmarked in cushing oklahoma so i'm not too sure how how texas kind of invaded on oklahoma that like that with the name but just kind of interesting to me just really noticed that i don't know how i didn't pick that out earlier
1: <laughs> good point so uh let's go on to uh, our next segment we're gonna look at kind of what's on your radar yeah um we're looking at cdrill next wednesday they're releasing earnings they're always kind of the last company in there yep. they a lot of their competitors are early on so you can kind of gauge kind of where the industry is going this company though has a lot of benefits that a lot of the competitors don't what are you looking at
0: Um, Well, when you look at Seedrill, I think coming last, I think there's a little bit of pressure there because if if you have consistent releases from the likes of Ensco or Transocean and some of the other peers, if they don't meet those expectations that have been set by their peers, You know, investors could see the stock take a little hit, but C-Drill is in a business that I like Mm long-term. People continue to talk about 2014 and 2015 being slow, but we were just at the Offshore Technology Conference, and there's absolutely zero sign of offshore activity slowing down. Record number of people there, about 108,000 people from all around the world. Mm -hmm. And Sea drill is one of the more respected drillers in the business from the operational standpoint. Yes, the balance sheet might seem a little dangerous to some conservative investors, but they pay a high dividend and they have a young, young fleet, arguably the youngest in the business, so I like the company, I'm interested to see what they come out with, because you have seen some of their peers, uh, not just analysts, but their peers say that 2014 hasn't been all that great, or at least they don't expect it to be, but with the regions that is operating in, it's one of my favorites in the the offshore deep water space.
1: Yeah, I mean, 11%, over 11% uh, dividend yield, I believe, now, which is always good, especially, I mean, like you were talking about in the offshore technology conference, all the people in this space are not looking at 2014 oh, heck no. and 15. They're spending millions they, of dollars now to, to see the Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking at 10 years down the line. Right. They're not worried here, and as investors, you shouldn't be either, because if you look at the direction that a lot of oil companies, large oil companies are going, is offshore. And like you mentioned, Sea Drill has young fleets. Mm-hmm. And if you one of their competitors, Ensco, um, in their earnings, they had some great numbers out of their deep water fleets, yep. their newer deep water fleets, where they're seeing... Um, day rates that were o- over $640,000 per day, which is really, really great Yeah, that's not,
0: they're not losing anything compared to what uh, you've seen in other markets.
1: Yeah, and, and you want to talk about softening. Uh, of the they have 59 drilling units, Sea Drill does, and they have $20 billion in backlogs. 15 billion of that is in their floaters, which is a, the actual ships that go out and float, mm-hmm. drill within uh, depths of 3,000, 5,000, up to 10,000 feet. Uh, so a lot of that contract's there. Their ships are young. Their utilization rates are still good. And, you know, if there is a quick softening, it could be a good time to get back in because they do have the contracts there. They have 11%... Plus dividend, so there's a lot to like about this company. Even if uh, you think there might be some temporary, short-term softening, yeah,
0: and they've got some good uh, distribution rights with the c Drill Limited Partnership that they that they spun off, where they can then give some of their rigs up too. So, uh, nice nice cash flow from this company. Um, mm-hmm. But I could see the the balance sheet turning people off. But uh, you know, with the long-term prospects. I think they're all right.
1: Yeah, and also in the, um, in the where the money is energy edition, <laughs> uh, we're also not only going to be looking at oil and gas companies. Yeah, yeah, we're we're going to look at too. energy companies. We're going to look at some mining companies. So, you know, for people that aren't really into oil and gas, maybe they're looking for something that may be a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, the solar in- industry, this is an industry that, uh, you know, I they think there's a lot of uh, positives there. But uh, I, I don't there's know. Still are, the you, are you, are you out a there. bull there?
0: i 'm um, a public bull on, on solar yeah I'm SolarCity um, i 'm a solar city shareholder and I think that the the industry 's got a lot of legs. you know you saw a lot of struggles earlier on, but not so much from the installers. You saw a lot of strugglers from the panel makers because there 's a lot of flooding of the market with cheap panels mm-hmm. from from a lot China of yeah, and it, there seems to be some agreement coming along the lines there where they 're going to stop the the practice of um, producing these panels at an unprofitable rate Mm -hmm. so that now uh, domestic manufacturers of solar panels can keep up. But just the growth in solar that you've seen, even in nations that have been wildly dependent on oil and gas, like Saudi Arabia is talking about spending $100 billion on solar panels or solar installations, Mm -hmm. and they're right along the equator so they have a great geography for it. China's getting into it, um, not just because their limited resource availability, at least right now they have the number one shale gas reserves, Mm -hmm. but it's not developed yet. So they need something now that they can can rely on. uh, And solar panels seem to be that, especially in the United States, you've seen the growth just skyrocket. And companies continue to talk about doubling their customer base. To hear an industry talk about doubling its customer Mm -hmm. base many years in a row, um, you might start to worry about... Too rapid of a growth of a growth trajectory, but we're just talking about the United States with some of these companies, and, and we're setting the standard right
1: now. It, it's per, it's still a pretty nascent uh, technology, and it's yeah. going to improve. Uh, but I'm going to play a little devil's advocate with you, and Come on. you know, first off, a lot of people will look at, yeah, the technology is improving. The the uh, panels have been cut in half basically mm-hmm. over the last three years, but there's still a lot of subsidies, feed in tariffs. We still also have net metering, which utilities are required. Um, almost uh, uh, exclusively throughout the United States to pay for energy that you don't use. Mm -hmm. What happens if some of these subsidies start getting cut? Is this something that you're worried about? Is this something that you think will happen? I mean, you can have subsidies in place. Oil and gas still gets subsidies. So you don't have to really look at just subsidies in themselves. You can look at the possibility that they might be cut. And that's one of the worries that I think that that somebody could come to you and say, what about this and also the intermittency issue? Yeah, people are saying Solar City uh, is using some of Tesla's batteries. They're, they're get, trying to. They're, they getting ba- to they're, yeah. they're, they're that's kind of the, the area that they're focusing yeah. on. We're going to start having as more people start driving uh, electric vehicles. We're going to start using the power from them, sure. battery and inter- connectivity, and start using that. That's still a long ways off. So, what do you, you know, are you still really bullish? In this industry, regarding uh, subsidies and really having the intermittency issues,
0: uh, definitely still bullish. You know, with the with the subsidy issue, you're seeing the United States kind of come out and say this is when we're going to end subsidies. Uh, when they first announced that, companies started to get a little worried. But now that companies have gained a lot of traction in their business models, I think that the idea in, in Americans' minds if we're just talking about America, is that, yes, yeah, solar is going to work for me. So I don't think the subsidy is really going to matter all that much. It's going to maybe rise, raise costs a little bit for a year or two mm-hmm. until these companies can continue lowering like they have been. But you see other countries launching subsidies. And with subsidies breeds uh, an environment where other companies are going to start to enter it and try and make it more efficient because um, if if the industry is taking off, suppliers, parts manufacturers, um, other arms of the industry might start to crop up and make this a viable business long-term minus subsidies. This is just meant to get the business rolling. Uh, You've seen some businesses falter under the subsidy market, but um, I think solar is here to stay just based on the way that you've seen it grow um, in the last few years, and other countries are buying it at a pretty high level, so I don't think that subsidies coming offline are gonna you'll have an, an effect, but not over the long term.
1: That's true. I mean, if you look at Chile, they're actually starting to produce um, utility scales without subsidies. So yeah. there's there's a lot of uh, Japan
0: good... starting subsidies, and China's got some in there too. So that that is a, a definite worry, but I don't think it's a worry in the long term. I think that it's it's meant to get the ball rolling, and it has certainly done so here domestically.
1: Yeah, and we're, we still already have all the base loads out there, and right. base loads being natural gas, which you can turn on yep. in a quick instant to start using the power. Um, so we're, that's going to bring us to our next segment. We're going to get into some games. We're going to look at would you rather, so I'm going to ask you a question. Probably something foolish. Something foolish. I'm going to ask you uh, a question here, so this is what I have for you. Would you rather see crude exports, which currently the United States cannot export actual crude oil in the U.S., or would you like to stop seeing the amount of LNG export permits that are being given?
0: Um, Fairly easy for me. I'd rather see LNG exports start to be more restricted. Uh, We've already eclipsed 10% of our total demand right now in allowable uh, exports. Granted, only one facility is even anywhere close to exporting, and that's in 2015 with Chenier Energy's Sabine Pass. Um, But Total approved exports has now a near 15% of our total demand right now. So over the next 8 to 10 years, if it's still viable, these plants are going to start coming online. I think we've probably tapped out as much as we can possibly do. And I think oil exports are a terrible idea. I just think that opening us up to the global market uh, in that aspect, we have abundant natural gas. We don't have nearly as abundant oil reserves. So I think that if we want to keep the prices down like we talked about in an earlier segment, I think that keeping that oil at home is the best way to go about it. But depending on which oil company you talk to, you're going to get a different answer on that.
1: Yeah, probably most of them will like to export the crude. Yeah,
0: you've seen some refineries come out and say they don't. But yeah, pretty much every upstream operator wants that crude oil shipped shipped out of the United States. I think uh, Harold Hamm from Continental has even said he will use his own... Uh, infrastructure to start exporting oil i mean he's really a huge proponent of it just because uh, of what's being trapped up there in the bakken because we don't have the demand for it
1: domestically right well, now he also has 14 billion dollars from that <laughs> from the bakken true, yeah. as well so
0: the, yeah the, i think the u.s.'s largest oil owner right uh, yeah yeah I personally so.
1: yeah i believe so if he can keep it all unless he loses that dang
0: wildcatter <laughs> all right i guess that brings me to my question of would you rather and uh Stemming from the o- o- OTC conference that we were at, the o- Offshore Technology Conference, mm-hmm. uh, we saw GE just dominating the landscape, front and center of the whole convention center, uh, GE Oil and Gas. And my question to you is based on their acquisition strategy and the technology that they're using, or you'd rather be the CEO of GE's oil and gas division, or the CEO of an ExxonMobil or one of their integrated peers moving forward?
1: Well, I think uh, just on the very fact that I would only be the GE Oil and Gas division uh, leader, <laughs> I would take. Exxon <laughs> yeah, I guess you get
0: more pay that you way. Can't, you,
1: you can't take <laughs> down the king. There's been a lot of people looking at Exxon and saying that their reserve replacement ratios, the amount of oil that they're bringing back online after they're producing, um, has been declining, and they haven't been at 100 or they haven't been at above the 120 percent that they had been for mm-hmm. years. Uh, however. This is still ExxonMobil. they have international properties assets everywhere they returned one hundred and forty billion dollars to shareholders. They still have a lot uh, going on there and one of the big things that I like about them they always looked at return on capital employed that number's always really up up there so they 're doing the best with the, the assets that they have and I think that we 're finally getting to the point where national oil, nationalized oil companies overseas are finally starting to realize that they can't produce as good as a lot of the western mm-hmm. uh, integrated majors so they're coming and offering uh, more more incentives to bring them back in it was interesting before the ni- or at the beginning of the 1970s if you looked at the western large oil companies they controlled 85% of the world's reserves 85% that's a tremendous number yeah. once the company once uh, nations started nationalizing their oil that percent dropped down to 6% so there's you could imagine how much is still out there of yeah. cheap oil if you look at Mexico, this is a country that's been declining oil for a while. They're trying to actually move away from that nationalized model. And just 1% uptick in oil production a year will bring in an additional $12 billion for them. So if it's you a big can incentive. Get, if you can get that percentage of oil, why not bring the people that know how to do it? And you're starting to see people, uh, nationalized oil companies and nations, reach out to Western companies mm. to bring them online. Iran recently. Uh, it looks like they'll probably pick Total to bring them on. But... I think that's uh, the reason that I still like ExxonMobil. They still have that growth there. I think with uh, nationalized oil companies coming back online or b- offering more contracts, I would rather be them than GE's oil and gas division, although that is a pretty impressive division.
0: Yeah, that's a heck of an answer. I'm pretty impressed. Well, thank you. Yeah. If I'll pay you to be my CEO of ExxonMobil and day. All right,
1: all right. I'll take it. If you're in that position, I'm yeah. going to hold you up to I'll that. be on the board. This will be on TV, and I will, after <laughs> this, I will make sure I get your signature. Podcast now, too, apparently, right? Absolutely. So, I would What's up next? uh, Next, we're going to look at, we're going to do a little stock quiz. Stock quiz? I'm going to give you a multiple choice quiz here. And what I'm looking at is large integrated majors. I'm going to ask you which one of these four has the lowest dividend. Okay. Of the four Royal Dutch Shell, ExxonMobil, Suncor, or BP, British British Petroleum. Which one has the lowest dividend?
0: Uh, Well, if I, since I can't phone a friend or do
1: 50-50, yeah, 50-50 I'm going to
0: eliminate Royal Dutch Shell. I don't think that that's the lowest. I don't think that British Petroleum is the lowest. I'm going to go with Exxon B. So
1: I need you to be the CEO and boost that dividend. Uh, you, you know, I, you don't, won't, I wouldn't have to boost it as much as I would if I was Suncor, which has <laughs> the lowest Damn. dividend of 2.2%. Uh, Although uh, ExxonMobil is pretty close up there, they're at about 2.7%. Uh, okay. So, you know, they had a not too great of stock appreciation over the last year, so that um, is still the at the 27 So yeah. it could be down to that 2.2% pretty soon if they start getting more of this oil online. Um, of the other ones... BP, 4.4%, still solid, a lot of yeah. growth for that company. And Royal Dutch Shell is actually uh, um, up there over 4% as well. So obviously the international players uh, are offering that yeah, higher. It's an
0: interesting trend. I know that uh, most nations do... F- look favorably upon dividends from the investor standpoint uh, a little bit more so than we do here we're always looking for stock growth mm. that's a big sexy thing but dividends internationally seem to be the big ticket um, although when you look at conical phillips that's that's pretty nice uh, that's a
1: that's comparable there it's not integrated but it's, it's yeah, up for there. an independent that's yeah. uh, what 4.2 yep. percent or so the largest of the trying to
0: climb up there um, so i guess now i have to return the favor with uh, a question of my own and that we're gonna to turn to Chesapeake Energy. I'm gonna ask you four basins. You need to pick which one they do not currently operate in. So which basins do Chesapeake Energy not operate in? I have the Eagle Ford down in Texas. Uh, the Utica, a newer basin out in Ohio and western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. The Bakken, everyone's heard of the Bakken, just rip-roaring up there in North Dakota. And the Anadarko Basin, uh, something that many people have not heard of. It's not Anadarko Petroleum. It's a, it's actually a basin
1: mm-hmm. not named after them. Uh, so I know that uh, they're in the Utica. They're one of the biggest players out yeah. there. I really like them. McClendon is a big Utica proponent. Um, Eagle They're in the Eagleford, So I'm gonna cross those two off. Okay. You know, I I want to say that they're I, I want to say that they are in the Anadarko. So I'm gonna go with Bakken.
0: Well, you're smarter at energy than me, Joel, because you got the question right. I've, I'm undefeated. In this <laughs> you're game. undefeated. One for one. In undefeated. Stump the energy analyst. You are undefeated. undefeated. I'll get you back next week. Sounds good. Let's get us to the Twitters. Okay. Yeah, take us to the Twitters, and we, uh, we've got some energy tweets that we're going to come out with. The Energy Department tweeted out yesterday that Secretary of Energy Ernest Moniz was sworn in one year ago today, being yesterday. See what he's been up to since then. Joel, what have you seen him being up to since then?
1: Um, I've been seeing him eating a lot of dinners with natural <laughs> gas companies yeah, because the exportations have the licenses to uh, exports in non-free trade agreement countries yeah. have really soared this year. You saw like what, one or two in the past three years. Yeah, this year there's <laughs> every every three weeks or so there's a new one out there. Uh, so that's what I've been seeing from him. One thing I have not seen, which has really been a sticking point with a lot of people in the industry, is. Keystone XL pipeline, mm-hmm. there's still no decision being made there. They're hoping when he come online, they could probably sway it to go one way or the other. Are they going to build it? Are they not going to build it? Just get an answer out there. So I think he's been really uh, involved with the natural gas.
0: Agreed, yeah. I mean, and one other reason I'm kind of surprised is he came from the nuclear side of things but he hasn't really talked about anything about increasing our nuclear power here. That's a huge baseload. Uh, com- companies are actually complaining about the the infrastructure that we've seen and the payments that they're receiving because it is a pretty expensive business to be in. Let's not get that confused. So to see him come from uh, the side of being a, I don't know if he's a nuclear s- physicist or what he was, but that's what he studied, that's what he, like that's what he taught a lot about. Scientists. Yeah, so uh, he's not talking about it anymore, but when we saw him speak at the EIA conference, about a year ago, mm-hmm. right as he was starting to take over, he talked about an all-inclusive energy strategy. Yeah, the, and all of the above. That's it. And right now, he's only concentrating on natural gas, as far as we can see. Mm-hmm. So, uh, step your game up, Ernest. All right. What's what do we got next? We got the next tweet. That is from World Oil Online at World Oil. BP will ask the U.S. Supreme Court to review a court order on settlement tied to its 2010 Gulf of Mexico spill. Four years r- removed from this terrible spill, mm-hmm. and they're finally at the Supreme Court. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: Uh, for BP, that's probably not a great thing. They were probably hoping to get that done at the, <laughs> the Federal Appeals Court. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, an expert on this, but it, I think this is kind of an interesting case for BP because they're just asking that people prove that they were directly affected by right. the oil spill to actually make a, a, a claim against them. Right now, that's not the case. You can. Be somewhere that really you didn't get affected, and you can go out and make a claim, get in one of the, uh, get in um, on one of the, of the class actions, the class whatever, actions, yeah. and and really uh, um, not really have real recourse yeah. uh, that you can that you should be collecting from. So, you know, I think for BP, this does make sense. Yes, if you if somebody was directly affected, they should uh, be compensated for it. But, you know, I, I I would say that being at the Supreme Court. It's probably not good for BP, and yep. this could cost them uh, three, five, upwards of $8 billion more. Um, so, you know, it's expensive, especially when you've already spent $42 billion <laughs> on cleanup. <laughs> yeah, they're, and completely, they're
0: a completely different company as a result from selling off all those assets. Even if they do win this, it's going to be another few years because then they have to go through and read all the documents of these people trying to prove that their movie theater in Louisiana lost money because of the Gulf oil spill. I don't know how you can or can't prove that, but that's what they're trying to ask for, at least, because uh, th- people are just throwing throwing up numbers willy-nilly, and BP's had to pony up the cash so far. Mm-hmm. So who knows how long this is going to take? It's taken four years now. What's another four years, I guess?
1: Yeah, it's going to probably, if the if the Supreme Court doesn't change or rule it, it's basically going to come down to uh, settlements, just yeah. saying we're going to take this— Blotment of 7,000 people, this is what we're going to give you. Like we said, that could be pretty costly. Fight to the death over it. Yeah, that 4.4% uh, <laughs> uh, dividend might need to get chopped. That's
0: exactly right. So they're going to have to not abide by the international uh, qualification there. And our final tweet of the day, Obama has heard about the Legion of Boom. Legion I have not. Form. What is it, Joel? You've What's the, heard of the of Legion of Boom? the
1: Legion of Boom? Of course you have.
0: Maybe I have, but maybe it's selective memory. It was memory. probably
1: in February when saw this <laughs> probably team dismantle a Denver, Denver Broncos team. Um, yeah, so they, they went out and checked out uh, the White House yesterday. It's but your boys. That is my boys. Yes, yeah, Seattle. Um, yeah, so, what I I'll thought was uh, kind of my favorite thing about this trip was Marshawn Lynch did not show up. And they were wondering... Okay. You know obama was wondering you know why isn't lynch here i want to He's take some lessons. the rainbow I want, I want to take i want to take some of the lessons of how he actually deals with media right. which is not <laughs> you're, you're staying far away from them and basically um his mother came out and said you know he said he didn't want to go that's the only answer they okay. got so marshall lynch wanted to stay down in california and not come over to the White House. Can't argue with that. I mean, he's living the life out there. so. And he's probably focused for a second-in-a-row Super Bowl. Second-in-a-row Super Bowl. You've got to cut
0: all the calories out in the offseason so he can eat all the Skittles during the regular season. Uh, it's right? not going to affect him at all. It's not going to affect him at all. I actually did see a sports science where they tried to show the effect of sugar on Marshawn Lynch, and he literally turned up a five-gallon bucket of Skittles and just poured them down his mouth. Are you sure it was not a minivan? A minivan? I don't know. what he it? lifted? Oh, <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> to me, it looked like a five-gallon bowl. <laughs> but minivan five-gallon bowls, uh, when, you, when you're overdosing on skills, t- tend to blend into each other. Well, Joel, what do you think? I think that's a show. First episode of uh, Where the Money Is forward slash digging for value? Energy edition. <laughs> energy edition. Be sure to tune in Thursday. Uh, if you want us to answer your tweet or a question, energy at fool.com, energy at fool.com we'll is our there. email or at TMF Energy is our Twitter. Absolutely. We don't care which one it is, as long as you do one or both. Ask us anything so, you want, any questions. Yeah, now that we're not tied to energy, I guess we can anything you want. talk about we it. Will,
1: we will answer any question you have, literally if, any question.
0: If we can't, there's four other segments throughout the week that we can pass your question on to. So energyatfool.com, TMF Energy on Twitter. Joel, I'm Taylor. Until next week.